you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to have some fun today. We've got some interesting questions as always. i got a fun interview I want to share with you. My theme for today is My Parents Are Amazing. We'll kind of unpack that, share an interesting perspective. Our sponsor today is Casper. We'll be telling you more about the best mattress in the world here in a little bit. Now, here's some of the things we're going to be discussing today. My parents made me pay for an old camera they had, and they are amazing. Here's a question. My friend and I would like to start a club dedicated to some of our hobbies. How should we set that up? Dan, after 40 years in sales, I've been given a severance package. I'm not old enough to retire. What should I do? Somebody asked, how can my 84-year-old father market his Sounds of Yesteryear CD? I got some sound clips from that. We're going to have fun with that, and I need your help on that, how he can market that. Some really cool old sounds. I think it's I think it's close to a great idea. Just not sure. I need your help on that. I'll ask you about that toward the end of the show today. Well, here's a quotation today. It comes from Mark Cuban, who says, If you want to be successful, reduce the stress of those around you. Now think about that for a minute. And there are a lot of people who walk in a room and the stress goes up. Those aren't people you want on your team. If you want to be successful, reduce the stress of those around you. I heard Mark interviewed by Chase Jarvis and on the uh, 30 Days of Genius program that I've been promoting to you. Anybody ought to be watching it. They are absolutely phenomenal. But in that interview, Mark talked about that. He He has 140 companies. He surrounds himself with people who reduce stress, not add to it. We used to have a process with our kids when they were little. And something I instituted with employees when I had companies where we had a lot of employees. Don't come to me with a problem. Before you come to me with a problem, I don't care if the faucet is leaking or, you know, somebody broke in the back door or we don't have enough toilet paper in the storage room, whatever. Don't come to me and just dump that on my desk. Come to me with three proposed solutions and which one you recommend. Then come to me and I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to give you permission to implement the solution, but do that. Those are the kind of people that we want to have around people who come with solutions prepared, reduce the stress. I want to start out with a, a little story told this recently to a group we had here at innovate at the sanctuary. Got a big response. John Dunn was a theologian and he told a story about Spanish sailors who had left Spain and they were looking for new land. Well, they had been at sea for quite some time. And one of the things that sailors are really concerned about, obviously, is fresh water. You run out of fresh water, you're in big trouble. Now, although you're on water, you can't drink that water. You can't drink seawater, salt. It'll kill you. So they had been at sea for about four months. We're running desperately low on water. They approached what was the mouth of the Amazon River, South America. But now the mouth of the Amazon River is 
really, really big. It's over 200 miles across when it's flowing fully. It produces 20% of the Earth's supply of fresh water. It dumps 8 trillion gallons of fresh water into the ocean every day that can be detected miles and miles out at sea. However, the changes had been very slow and subtle. The sailors just assumed they were on a continuation of the ocean. And we're told that while they were on top of the largest body of fresh water in the world, there were sailors who died of thirst on those ships. Now that's a pretty poignant story. And I love the metaphor that it offers for us. Because I hear a lot of people today, oh, you know, it's too late to do that. That idea has been taken. There's nothing left left to invent. You know, the internet has changed everything. Nobody's hiring. I mean, we hear all these things that are gloom and doom. And if you believe those things, then in fact, they are true. Or could it also be true that we're on top of the greatest opportunities ever known to man? There are no obstacles to doing something for yourself. Every company is looking for great people who have a clear contribution to offer. I mean, we could go on and on and on. A lot of it is mindset, no question about it, but I believe we are, in fact, in this time of amazing opportunity. Now, I'm going to play for you an audio clip, an interview that I did with my granddaughter, Clara. Her parents live close by. Ashley, her mom, works for me, has for 13 years now. So we've seen a lot of Clara. She just turned nine years old. I did an interview with her based on some things that she's done recently and without really a whole lot of introduction. I want you to listen to it, but be listening for business models, seeing opportunity, having a positive mindset. I mean, just listen to this nine-year-old girl. Obviously, I'm biased. This is Clara, my granddaughter. Well, I have in my office today a special guest, my granddaughter, who just turned nine years old. And we're going to talk about what it means to be an entrepreneur because she understands the economic model that I talk about so much, where I talk about you have to have passion, talent, and money. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. So tell us your name. Clara Isabel Logston. All right. And you just turned nine years old. Mm-hmm. But you've been working on ideas for quite some time. So how old were you when you decided you wanted a camera? Maybe five or six, probably. All right. So you were five or six years old, decided you wanted a camera. Your parents realized they had just gotten a new camera, so they had one that would be appropriate for you. Did they just give it to you? No. Well, what kind of parents are those that didn't just give you the camera? Amazing ones. <laughs> <laughs> but what did they tell you? How could you get the camera? They told me that if I could make $25, then they would let. So I paid for it. So you had to pay for a camera from your own parents. Mm-hmm. So how did you get $25? I started selling muffins. You made muffins? Mm-hmm. I think Yaya, your grandma, made some muffins with you. All right. And then when did mm-hmm. how did you sell those? Where did you sell those? I sold them at the events and farmers market. All right. 
So at Papa's Events, like mm-hmm. Coaching with Excellence and Innovate, and at the Farmer's Market, all right, so you sold them, got your $25, and bought the camera. Mm-hmm. So you understood what it takes to get something you want. You do something that has value for people. They give you money, and everybody's happy. And you got your camera. Mm-hmm. All right, good. You've also sold cards. Now, I know that you like art. You like to draw. You've been in Yaya's art class since you were five years old. Is that correct? Four. Four. Since you were four years old. So you've been in Yaya's art class for five years. So your artwork is pretty amazing. And you realized that you could, you know, sometimes I know that when you have a piece of art, you're kind of attached to it. It's hard to get rid of it, even if somebody wants to give you money for it. So what did you do with some of your art? We took pictures of it and mommy sent it to a printer and then we turned them into cards. So and you, I sold those. So you sold a card. So you were able to keep your original printings but still make money from selling your cards. And I know that you sold cards at a recent event that we had here at the sanctuary. So you made quite a bit of money doing that. Do you remember how much you made? I think you were just here for one of our breaks. Probably about 200 and something dollars. All right. I think that's that's right. Well, now you have a new project that we're all really excited about, where you took some of your artwork and you and Yaya started having fun one day. Tell us about that project, how that started, that is now your book. So it really started with Harley and... Yaya and me were walking... Harley is your dog. Yeah. And Yaya and me were walking down a path, and then Harley tried to chase a squirrel up a tree, and that didn't work. So we thought up a book, and the first line we thought up was, what if it were possible a dog could climb a tree? What if it were possible he climbed like you and me? There you go. And that led into more poems... And you turn that into a book, What If It Were Possible? So it's got a lot of illustrations in there. Who did all of the illustrations? Me. You did, including the cover. And it's gotten a lot of attention. Morgan James Publishing is publishing the book. It'll come out officially in October. We already have some copies. You had a lot of fun doing that. Mm-hmm. And so we just had an event here at the sanctuary again. And since we already have those books, you've started selling them. How much do you sell a book for? $10. $10. So we had people here who wanted your book. You signed them, you autographed them. So they were author signed copies. But when they give you $10, is that $10 profit? No. How do you have to split that up? I have to give $2 to Papa, so I have $8 left. There you go. So you realize the books cost $2. Mm-hmm. You give that back to me because I purchased them, and then you have $8 profit. But it's kind of easy to understand that. So if you are in the right place, whether that's at an event here or some other places that you're going to sell them, you could probably, in a good day, sell a hundred books, and since you make eight dollars on each book, how much profit would that be? Eight hundred dollars. 
There you go. That's a lot of money. You know, there are some people who work at a job where they make $10 an hour. And if they make $10 an hour, it would take them two weeks of working 40 hours a week, two full weeks to make $800. You can do that in an hour or two by selling your books. That kind of spoils you for having a real job, doesn't it? You love being an entrepreneur, don't you? Yes. <laughs> You've seen too much. You know what it <laughs> means to be an entrepreneur. So in the first order of books, I purchased 500 copies. So now I'm going to really stretch you here. So you make $8 on each book when you sell all 500 of those, which we think will happen pretty quickly. How much money is that? Profit. You could buy a car with that. You're nine years old. (laughs) Well, knowing that is a lot of money, what are some of the things that you might use that money for? Well, when I grew up, I want to be an actress, and I kind of already am. So I want to get some really fancy camera things. Yeah. Making my movies. Really nice video equipment. You are already doing movies. Mm-hmm. What program do you use for your movie editing? iMovie. So you're using iMovie. You can put on subtitles and all of that. And you already have some of your movies that are up on your own website, which is another place that you're going to sell your own books. Now, I know that you just this last week got your first order and somebody ordered a book on your website. You know, tell, tell people what your website is. ClaraLogston.com. Clara Logston. Clara, and the last name is L-O-G-S-D-O-N.com, where people, somebody went there and ordered a book, but they didn't order just a $10 book. They apparently ordered, did they order some cards as well? Yes. So your first order was how much money? Fifty. $50. So you're, you can sell books. Now you see that people can buy books even when you aren't sitting at a table. That's called residual income. We'll get into more of that when you get a little older. But it means you can make money even while you're sleeping because people can go to your website and give you money. How cool is that? (laughs) (laughs) So what you have now, let's just recap the book here and we'll wrap this up. With the book, you got a $100 advance, you and Yaya. You split that so you got $50 there. You're doing personal sales. We've talked about that. You already had a speaking opportunity where you and Yaya went to school and talked to some, what were they, first graders? I think second graders and third graders. Second and third graders and about 150 of them or so, and you talked? And it was actually the first time in my life that I was ever in a school. <laughs> <laughs> now, how is that possible? You're nine years old, and it was the first time you've ever been in a school. And that's because? I'm unschooled. You're unschooled. So your parents take responsibility for your education. Where do you go to school? Everywhere. Everywhere. That's too cool. You learn from a lot of things, but you do a lot of traveling. So some kids read about volcanoes in a book. How do you learn about volcanoes? We go see one. That's right. You spend a month 
in Costa Rica where you were able to see volcanoes and tree frogs and lots of things? When we were riding back in the airplane, we saw the volcano smoking. That's right. When you're up in the airplane, the very volcano you had looked down in, you mm-hmm. saw smoking. That's awesome. Well, you're getting an amazing education with your book. Not only did you get an advance, now your personal sales, and then speaking opportunities, but also royalties. That means when Morgan James Publishing sells a book through Amazon or Barnes & Noble or airport bookstores, you and Yaya are going to get royalties on that. You'll get about a dollar each. So if they sell 2,000 copies a month, that means you're going to get another $1,000 a month in royalties. Just a check in the mail. Won't that be fun? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Clara, thank you for taking the time to, to come in here and talk with me. And I know that you will inspire other people, not only nine year olds, but also some people a lot older than you, just with the simplicity of having a business model, knowing how to combine your passion, talent, and money. So thank you. I'll have you back on again, okay? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can tell I have a lot of fun with that. Obviously, what a thrill it is to see grandchildren who are understanding economic principles, mathematics, physics, relationship issues, I mean, all those things from real life experiences. We try to give them opportunities for that and uh, hope you hope you find that inspiring. I had her share some of that at Innovate, the event we had here at the sanctuary. And some of the people said that was exactly what they needed to see, to see the simplicity of a business model. Sometimes we can become uh, pretty convoluted, see it as being very complex when it really is very simple. So I love having Uh, Clara share her ideas, her insights as she's learning them in real life situations. Here's the deal. She's got some goodies put together. It doesn't matter if you're nine years old or if you're 80 years old, she's got some goodies. If you go to claralogsdon.com slash 48 days, you can see some of the things that she's learning, some of the ways to teach our kids entrepreneurial skills and just some of the resources that'll help put you or your own kids on that path. So it's claralogston.com slash 48 days. Hey, check that out. Love those stories. Lots more to come. We always get a, a, a really big response when we talk about young entrepreneurs on here. So we want to be introducing more and more of that. And with the grandkids I've got coming up, we've got a lot of stories about things being done in the, the Miller clan here. So hope you enjoyed that. Just a note, we are listening to real life stories. If you got a success story, we'd love to hear it. Share it in this segment of the show in 48 days. Just shoot that in to askdan at 48days.com. You can also leave an audio message. We've got a couple audios I want to introduce today here. Or you can just go to 48days.com, click on Ask Dan link there, and see a red starburst pops up where you can submit your question there. So let me go back to my our normal outline here. Oh, hey, I want to talk to you just for a minute about our um, our friends at Casper. I want to talk to you about my friends at Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to the consumers. Now think about the usual process. 
mattress is manufactured somewhere, then it goes through retailers, ultimately ends up in a little store in your town where they have to pay salespeople, pay utilities, and keep the lights on and rent. That's not what they do at Casper. They sell directly to you. Do you think that may provide a significant savings for a better quality mattress? Absolutely. I mean, there's a whole lot of teams that have worked on developing the Casper mattress. You've heard me talk about it. People rush to claim the room with a Casper mattress in it in our guest house when they're here on our property in Franklin, Tennessee. That's the response that we get again and again and again. Now, mattresses can cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin size, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery, free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. That's the way that it is. Time Magazine named Casper one of the best inventions of 2015. And now it's the most awarded mattress of the decade. Here's the deal. We got a special offer for you. As you know, go to casper.com slash sleep you love and use the promo code sleep you love to save $50 off your purchase. Let me give that to you again. Casper.com slash sleep you love. Then use the promo code sleep you love to save $50 off your purchase. Well, I got a lot of questions lined up here. This one comes from Brian. who says during Dan's last podcast, he mentioned a young man who refurbishes old computers off Craigslist and then resells them for a profit. Apparently the young man is developing or has developed a course to teach others how to get started similarly. I'm seeking information to find this person's course since my son is interested in possibly pursuing this same opportunity. Thanks in advance. Well, I encouraged that young man. His name is James. I encouraged him to do that. He's not yet done that and is working through, you know, how much real technical expertise does a person need in order to do that? It's kind of like people hear me talk about flipping cars. I've done that all my life since I was a teenager but I love the process. Just bought a car this week. I love the pro- love the hunt. Uh, got out, found exactly what I was looking for, and uh, negotiated the deal. You know, with the dealer, just had fun. Guy was a great guy, and I love what I was able to purchase. I wouldn't recommend that for everybody, though. And if you don't have a pretty extensive knowledge of cars, that would not be a good opportunity. You could get burned and lose your shirt real quickly. Well, the same thing is true with computers. So James is trying to figure that out. But it is one of the approaches that I often encourage people to do is you can make more money teaching those how to do what you're doing than you do from doing the work itself. Now, an example you have heard me talk about is our buddy Greg Murphy from Cincinnati, who is making a whole lot of money selling books. He buys the books by the pound, not by the title, by the pound, because they're just paper to be recycled at that point resells about 30% of those on eBay and Amazon being books that really do have value and then cuts the spine off and recycles the paper for the rest of it, doing about $3 million a year. He has developed a course. His course is sevenfigurebooksales.com slash courses. And you can find that there. You know, I talk openly about that. We've sent a lot of people Greg's way just to have fun doing that. So there are other things. And now you heard me talk recently about Aaron Kerr and that brings up a, an audio question here. 
Let me let me bring this up for you here. We're gonna listen. We're gonna hear from Allie, who has an audio question. Hi, Dan. My name is Allie. I was listening to your podcast from May twentieth, where you mentioned a gentleman who has been very successful using books that are in the public domain. I was wondering if you had any more information on his course that he is going to release in June. If you could please pass this on to us, we'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I love the question, Allie. And a lot of people ask about that. Aaron Kerr is the young man who is, who's put together that course. Now, Aaron has been real involved in 48days.net. You can go there and find him. Aaron Kerr, the last name is K-E-R-R. And he's got information about this public domain course that he's put together that he's got coming up. And I highly recommend it. I mean, it's a fun kind of thing. I took a course from Yannick Silver years and years ago on public domain, and it really opened my eyes to the wealth of information and wisdom and resources that are out there. So we have books like Acres of Diamonds, the old Russell Conwell book that we have in our library as a giveaway. It's a promotional piece, but I got it right out of the public domain. But we'll, I'll, I'll get a link from Aaron and put it in the show notes as well. But if you're on 48days.net, you can find Aaron Kerr there and find he's got that course that is starting out. He had 12 spots available in as pre-sales at a reduced rate for that course. Those, those went very quickly. I know those are gone, but I encourage you absolutely. If you're interested in that, we'll make sure that you can get information on how to get involved in that. Austin says, hey, Dan, I have a few questions about running a club like a business. My friend and I would like to start a club dedicated to some of our hobbies. What steps do we need to take to become certified and recognized? How do we handle tax deductions, et cetera, for club purposes? Austin, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to make some assumptions here. Let, let's say that you're interested in uh, video games and pinball machines. And so you're going to start a club where people can come hang out, play video games and have discussions and, you know, have contests with each other, those kind of things. I, I don't know if that's, I don't know what it is that you are going to organize a club around and I don't know if you need a physical space, but let's just take that as an example. The first thing you would want to do is to get a business license. Easy to do, just go down to your local clerk. This is in the county in which you live, where you get a business license. Usually going to cost like $20, so it's not a big deal. You get a business license. Then you can go to a bank and open a business account with that business name. Really pretty simple. Getting the business license will trigger some other things. In the county in which I live here, Williamson County in Tennessee, it triggers an occupational tax So at the end of the year. We take our gross sales, everything, and there's a real, real little tiny percentage that I pay then as an occupational tax back to the county because I have a business license and they give me permission to do business here. You don't need to get much more complicated than that when you're starting out. You don't need an EIN. That's an employee identification number that comes from the, the government, the national government, if you're going to have employees. But unless you're going to have employees, you don't really need that. So just keep it simple and stair-step the complexity as you move up. Now, one of the things that I kind of jumped over there that I really do need to address is you said you and a friend have, a, have this idea and you want to start this business. That's where it gets a little tricky because I'm not a fan of partnerships. 
you and your friend want to start a business together, you form a little partnership, you start this business, and a year from now, one of you wants to go live in Seattle and wants to get out, what do you do then? You know, they're, they're easy to start and difficult to unwind. The typical kind of organizations put together for a small business are these. And I'm going to reference a blog post that Donna Reed just did in 48days.net that's titled, What are the Different Types of Business Structure? And Austin, I would encourage you to go there and just check these out. But she says the sole proprietorship is the most basic type of business entity. Under this structure, all the assets and liabilities belong to the business owner. Now, that implies that it's one person, not two. Sole proprietorship. That is the easiest way to get started. If you want to coach, speak, write, mow yards, wash windows, you can be a sole proprietorship. You really don't need anything beyond that. You still, I would recommend get a business license. That's separate. And you're simply going to report income on a Schedule C on your 1040 tax return. You can still have a regular job and have a business on the side. You can still show your income from that and expenses. I mean, when you have a business, you can deduct expenses from day one. So anything that is legitimately an expense for that business, you can deduct that. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the fact that the IRS doesn't allow you to continue losing money on a business. So you can't keep showing thousands of dollars in expenses on a business that never makes money. You have to make money three out of five years for them to consider that it's a real business. And certainly you would want that. You want to make money from day one and go on. You can form a partnership. I would not recommend that with what you're talking about. I would recommend that you have one of you sign a lease for the space if you want to, whatever, do it individually and just work together, but do not do a formal partnership. If you start generating $100,000 a year, then I'm going to recommend that you form or establish an S-corporation. That's the most common next step up. Highly unlikely that you would want it to be a C-corporation. That's going to be much more complex where you can leave profits that are in the business. In a C, in an S-corp, profit flows right directly through to you as the business owner. And that's really what most of us are going to do. C-Corp, that's going to be like a Microsoft or a McDonald's or a Boeing or American Airlines or something like that, where you have very complex kind of tax structures. That's not going to be an appropriate choice for really anybody. Um, well, we're only, not for most people that I, that I work with. We're all going to be one of the other forms here. Another one is going to be an LLC. You hear that talked about a limited liability corporation. And there's not as much difference between that and an S corp as there used to be. But the main thing is if you think it's something where you're going to generate, even let's, let's say you're going to generate eight to $10,000 a month in gross revenue, you need to sit down with a bookkeeper or a CPA and get their advice. Incidentally, Donna is very gracious about helping people with questions like this. She's very competent in this space. And she said, if you have questions, Email her at Donna at DonnaReed.com. It's Donna, and the last name is R-E-A-D-E.com. So there's an E in the end, but DonnaReed.com. Tell her you heard me talk about it on the podcast. She'll answer questions like that for you. But Austin, hey, rock and roll. I love it when people have a business idea and going to put legs under it and go. One of the, what you don't want to do is go to the bank or try to find investors. I mean, get some success first. This morning when I was listening to the interview with Mark Cuban, 
on 30 Days of Genius. He's This guy's on Shark Tank. I mean, you, you know that he funds a lot of businesses, and he is in a very visible show where people show up and tell you why they need money. He says, needing to raise money is the first sign of failure that shows you weren't able to grow the business organically. Wow. That's what he says. Needing to raise money is the first sign of failure. What you really want to do is grow the business, bootstrap it, where profits from the business are pawed back into the business and you grow it in that way. Incidentally, I'm, I'm referencing again, I'm watching these videos from 30 Days of Genius. Please access these. They're phenomenal. I'm watching one every morning as I'm on the treadmill on my, on, you know, on, on video screen so I can watch the person, listen to them. But if you go to creativelive.com slash 30 days of genius, and I'll put that link in the show notes again, by all means access that you're going to get an education that is more valuable than a four year college degree. Trust me. Jerry says after 40 years in sales, both inside and outside for the last 20, 28 years outside, five jobs, four of which in the same industry. I received a severance package at the end of 2015 as part of a force reduction by my employer of 12 years. Although I am chronically, chronically, chronologically of retirement age, I'm not ready to retire. Appearance is younger. I've networked with a young number of former clients, industry colleagues, recruiters, etc. Overall business climate in Texas is slow now because of the oil and gas industry. Looking for suggestions regarding strategies to market myself to companies as an older, experienced person who is knowledgeable, flexible, and has kept up with technology. I've taken various computer programs and social media classes. Know that by law, an employer can't ask your age, but there are other ways of determining. Well, Jerry, the first thing I want to do is remove the sense that you're at a disadvantage because of your age. Now, the couple things I want to, and yes, you know, employers can can ask. I mean, they can ask, gee, you know, where'd you go to high school? Wow, what year did you graduate? I mean, they can ask things like that that are not illegal, but they will definitely tell a person your age. However, here's the big caveat. Age is not a deterrent. It's not a disadvantage when you're doing what you're doing. Sales is the most valuable skill you could possibly have the most valuable skill anybody can have. I mean, your track record of success is the most important thing on your resume. People don't care where you went to school, what degree or piece of paper you have, especially when you say, you know, you've been in the workplace for 40 years, 40 years now. I mean, people just don't give a rip where you went to school 40 years ago. What relevance does that have? What if you got a degree in computer something well that wouldn't even be unavailable 40 years ago what if you got a degree in geophysics or political science or mass communications 40 years ago nobody cares trust me i don't care if it was from harvard or yale or the little school down the street it just doesn't matter what's they're gonna look at is what have you done in the last five years it, what what did you build who'd you work with what would they say about you what's your profile on LinkedIn? What blogs have you written? Where are you communicating with other people online? What am I going to see if I Google your name? What revenue did you generate in those 40 years in sales? I mean, those are all things that are things that a 25 year old cannot possibly bring to the table. 
So hold your head high, pull your shoulders back, recognize you've got some unique value that those much younger than you just cannot possibly create. They don't have that. And especially being in sales, if you really are in sales, I mean, sales is the ultimate measurement of our effectiveness. And if you're directly in sales, I mean, what company would not want to have you on board? If you show up and say, in my last job, I was guaranteed a $150,000 base. I had three weeks vacation. I had a week at the company condo and access to a company car. You know, they're going to, their eyes are going to glaze over and they're going to show you the door. But if you say, you know what? I know this industry. I already have contacts. I am well networked. I'm up to speed in terms of technology. Let me take your product to the marketplace. Let me show you what I can do. And we'll discuss a compensation package. I mean, there are companies that are going to bring you on board instantly. So be creative. Don't be tracked or trapped into old models of compensation and pay. That could be a deterrent. But if you're really a player and you're in sales, my gosh, there are 20 companies within 10 miles of your house that are waiting for you today. I'm going to send you a fresh copy, the brand new version, 48 Days to the Work You Love. I already have an envelope addressed to you here, Jerry. I'm going to shoot that out to you this afternoon. Hope that helps you as well. Now, this comes from Josh, who says, what do you do if the company you want to work for has posted a similar position to the one you're interested in online? Do you apply through the website or still go with your three-step process? Well, this is where you want to be creative. I'm not one to encourage people to fill out online applications. What you see online, 3,000 other people see as well. And there's going to be a whole lot of them that have better qualifications than you. Trust me. That's not the issue. It's not who has the best credentials. It's who comes to the top in terms of doing a creative professional job search. You can put yourself at the top of the pack very, very easily by doing the things that I lay out in the job search process, those three steps. But what you want to do is get noticed. What you want to do is have them recognize your name coming across their desk three times. This is a marketing strategy. If you're selling John Deere lawnmowers, if you can get me to see or hear about that three times, my response rate goes up dramatically. A lot of people in the job search just send out a resume and hope the phone rings. Not going to happen. You're going to get lost in the crowd. So you want to send that letter of introduction, then send your cover letter and resume, then do a phone follow-up or an in-person follow-up. With that process, yeah, you're going to get noticed. So what do you do if a company has posted a similar position to the one you're interested in? Sure, apply for that. I mean, positions are not static, written in concrete, unless you're working for the government. I talked to a lady recently, and she works for the government, has for years, and she's classified as you know, a line worker, seventh level, whatever, you know, something that obscure, and there's no way to move around that. You're, you're trapped. That, that's a really, really old, antiquated dinosaur kind of model of the workplace today. But with most companies, a job description is just a starting point. What you want is to be able to have a conversation with people. You want to get in front of them. You want to be able to have a conversation. The purpose of a resume is not to give them enough information so they could make an intelligent hiring decision. You don't want that. You want it to whet their appetite so they want to talk to you personally. 
And it's in those personal encounters that you have an opportunity to shine, to sell yourself, to put yourself at the top of the pack. You have an interview that afternoon, you send a note back to the person or you FedEx them a package that has an article with a follow-up idea. Hey, I thought of this after an interview. I'd love to implement this in your company. This strategy right here, I thought you'd find it, you know, find it interesting. You know, do something. Do the things that make you come to the top of the pack when you do an application. So sure, if you've applied for a position, there's a similar position. Yeah, and don't go through just an online process. Use the steps that I lay out. Do the introduction letter, cover letter and resume. Do something where you follow up. If you know where that company is and you know who the decision maker is, call the receptionist. Ask him, ask her where that person parks in the morning, what time they pull into the parking place. You be there tomorrow morning at 643. Does that sound pushy, aggressive, and uh, obnoxious? Probably so. Does that get results again and again and again? If you just stay between the lines, just do a normal job search, you're going to be convinced the economy is bad. Nobody's hiring. Don't want to do that. Well, hey, you got an interesting question here. This comes from David and his uh, title was how to create income from a bygone era. Now, this is really interesting. This is where I need your help. You, you guys are brilliant thinkers there, and I certainly there are a lot of things that I don't see and recognize. This is one of those where I think this is a good idea, but I can't really put my hands around how to help him leverage this. David says, my 84-year-old father has a lot of medical and property tax expenses and could use some more income. He came out with a Sounds of Yesteryear LP record in 1972 and now has it on CD. This collection of narrated sounds from a bygone era includes old-time automobiles, a blacksmith shop, riding a steam train, a dulcimer, riding a steamboat, a John Deere tractor, a one-room country school, and many more sounds. What would be the best way to create a good income from this product? So here's the deal. He's got sounds of yesteryear. I'm going I'm to give you a few of them here. They're really great. And depending on your age, these are going to really stimulate a nostalgic kind of response where you think, oh my gosh, I remember my grandfather had that kind of noise or my grandmother, you know, used to answer the phone like this. Well, well, check this out. Here's a telephone. Okay. So we don't hear telephones like that anymore. Here's a steam train. Isn't that a cool sound? You know, a lot of kids these days, you know, can't imagine riding on a train. We took two of our granddaughters on a train ride two weeks ago. There's a train that runs from Nashville, Tennessee, out to Watertown, Tennessee. It's about 90 miles out. It's a six and a half hour trip out. You get off, have lunch, walk the streets, get on, come back. And it's on an old train like that, staffed by volunteers. Just a delightful experience. But to give kids an opportunity to ride a train, and we were, we, of course, don't do things normally. So during the stop out at Watertown, when everybody was off, you know, in the little ice cream shops and so on, we walked to the very front of the train. They had moved the engines from one end of the train, taken them off a side track, 
and then move just the engines up back through another side track to the other end of the train. So the train moved in the opposite direction, but the train was, uh, the engines were pulling it. So we walked up where the engines were quite a ways up on the track, just so these little girls, my granddaughters could see this old engine. Well, the conductor came out of the engine. Now this is a massive machine with steps that go way up. And he said, come on up. Well, you got to be kidding me. We did. So the four of us, Joanne and I, and our two little granddaughters went up into the engine, saw all the controls. And he said, here's a lever, pull that lever. Clara was one of my granddaughters with it, pulled the lever and it tooted the horn, tooted the horn on an old timey train. And Ellie did the same thing. I mean, what a memory that, and, and again, that's how my grandkids learn. That's how they learn about things. Not just reading a book, but having experiences, but that was a cool kind of thing. And here's, here's another sound. Now, some of you may be old enough to, to recognize this sound. I'm not sure. All right. That's a John Deere tractor. Now, certainly not the kind that we have today. I have a John Deere tractor. I absolutely love it. But it uh, doesn't sound like that. That's an old-timey John Deere tractor where you would uh, use a crank, get the flywheel going, and it'd start that one-cellar pop, 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 pop. That's what it was. Very distinctive John Deere tractor. Well, here's one more. This is a sound we don't hear as much today as either. All right. Well, here's where I need your help. I like this project. I like this project. So David's father has these sounds of yesteryear. And it's the kind of things that you're hearing here. I'm not sure I can really see a financial opportunity with that. I like the shorter stories that accompany some of the sounds. That's, I think that's part of the right direction. It has to be more than just sounds. Those are too easy to get. How could he take this CD sounds of yesteryear and really market it. All right. Now, Hey, we'll give some prizes away. I don't know what we'll do, but I need your ideas. Send your ideas about how to monetize this old CD sounds of yesteryear. Just shoot your ideas to ask Dan at 48 days.com. We'll have some, some fun playing with that in the upcoming weeks. Well, Hey, we're going to, you know where we are here. Got a couple events coming up. We got, one open event here at the sanctuary this year that's going to be august 25th and 26th the last event for coaching with excellence that's our landmark event where we're helping people position themselves as coaches and go on to coaching success join us seats are filling up but uh, we, we always we close those out at 48 people and the two that we've had have been oversold but anyway, we've locked those out at 48. So join us August 25th, 26th for that. Of course, you've heard me talk. Joanne and I are going to be going to London for New Media Europe in June. We're excited about that. Then we can, we'll see some of you at Podcast Movement in Chicago right after that. We've got the schedule for next year going up as well. We've got the events, Innovate, Coaching with Excellence. We're going to have a Creatives event. We're going to have a Work You Love event. Next year, a lot of things coming up there. We'd love to see you here. 
Hey, thanks for being part of this group of people who are thinkers, who are innovators, who are creative people. We don't settle for normal. We are people who, in fact, find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Thanks for being part of this amazing community. Keys are in your hands And the world is waiting It's a beautiful day Don't let it go It's gonna take